4 and verse 17, the title of my message is, The King is Here. The King is Here. Matthew four seventeen. This is, uh, it says, From that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach. From This was the time that John the Baptist was imprisoned. And uh, when John the Baptist went in prison, it says, And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to look at the subject this morning, that the king is here. I know many of us have heard the uh, phrase that the king is coming. Well, I want you to know the king is coming. But when we look at the scriptures today, we're going to see that the king has come. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He walked on this earth. He was present on this earth. And we're going to look this morning at the subject of the King is here. Now today I'm going to begin a series of messages that I will be preaching over the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to begin this morning in the book of Matthew. And and I've often wondered why God had four different Gospels. I wonder why God didn't just pick one fella out and give revelation to this one fella and have him write one gospel of all the things that Jesus had accomplished over the years in the ministry that he was on earth. Why did he pick four different men to write this gospel or these four gospels? And I've often wondered why he did that. But then when you look at each one of these gospels, you notice that each one of them have a different focus. And as I was beginning to look at the different focuses of what the Gospels are, because we're going to break those down this morning and mention those for just a minute, Matthew has a certain focus, Mark has a certain focus, Luke has a certain focus, and John also has a different focus. Well, then I got to thinking about if if each one of these looks at at Jesus' life in a different reason, why did he just use four? I'm like, well, why aren't there not ten Gospels now? Because I'm telling you, there is, there is so much knowledge, there is so much wisdom and understanding in Jesus' life. I, I thought about this. There's so much excitement in Jesus' life. I'm telling you, I've been working on this sermon for probably several years, and I just haven't got it perfected yet. But I want to do a sermon where Jesus is in the boat, and the storm is raging around them. You know, when Jesus comes, and He stands in the boat, and and, uh, the storm is raging, and, and, and I want the... The, I, I got to get a soundtrack of a storm. And as I'm preaching, I want this storm, the whistling of the wind and the crushing of the waves, to get louder and louder until I'm having to raise my voice up here to get you to be able to hear me. And then Jesus says, Peace be still. Don't you know those disciples were excited when that happened? I want you to know Jesus' life was full of excitement. Jesus' life was full of tragedy when they falsely accused Him of all the things that they sent Him to the cross for. Jesus' life is full of victory because we see victory over the death, over the grave when you come to the end of the Gospels. 
But as I was thinking about all of these things, how, how could anyone, how could any one writer uh, encompass all of the things and look at Jesus' life from all these different focuses? And, and I was having trouble understanding this until I did this. I got to thinking, I said, well, Wayne, the four Gospels come from four different views, and I'm like, well, why? And then I got to thinking, I said, okay, well, what if somebody wrote a book about Wayne Bickley? I said, okay. And I was sitting there thinking, I said, okay, if they were going to write a book about Wayne Bickley and their focus... What if they wrote a book about Wayne Bickley and their focus was only on the jobs that Wayne Bickley worked as he was growing up? I said, okay, that would be interesting. So, I began to write the introduction to my book, to myself, of course, and I began to think. I said, okay, my first job, my first job was trash burner. I was about six or seven. And you have to understand, there were three of us boys, one older than me, one younger than me, and we done pretty much everything to, to, together. But it was my job periodically to take out the trash and burn the trash. So in my little book, the focus would be on my first job and how I accomplished it. Well, this is how we accomplished trash burning in our house. We looked forward to this job. Because you see, when Mom would say, Wayne, it's your turn to take out the trash... Man, I run excitingly to the, to the kitchen and I would grab that sack up and I would head out to the backyard. I was getting to play with matches. I was fixing to start a fire. My two brothers would come right behind me because they knew what was coming. And listen, this is what we would do. We would take, we'd get a soup can out of the trash and we'd separate the cans and the bottles over here and the burn trash over here. We'd put the burn trash in the barrel. We'd take one of those soup cans and we'd take a coat hanger and wrap it around it so it would hold that soup can, you know, so you can hold it out over the fire. Then we would get a stick and we'd go through all those, uh, the mayonnaise jars and we'd put a little mayonnaise, what was left in that mayonnaise jar in our soup cup or our soup can and ketchup and mustard. Now, potted meat was a popular item at our house. All right. Now, if my mama hears this message on tape, she's going to be mad that I said tell you that we ate potted meat. Don't ever look at how potted meat is made, okay? You won't want to eat it again. Hey, but listen, man, we'd scrape that potted meat out of those little bitty cans. We'd scrape it in. We'd find any beans or corn or anything that was left in some other cans, and we would, man, we were making us a potion. And we'd put it in that soup can, and we'd hold it over the fire, and We'd reach up there. This is my first job, my burnt trash burner. And we'd stir around in that. We'd get it good and hot and it'd be boiling. And then we would dare each other to take a bite. Man, that made that job exciting. It was lots of fun. And so that was our first, that was my first job that I can remember. It was not a paying job, but it was sure a lot of fun. And uh, each one of us got to work that job. I can remember my next job, probably my first paying job. My first paying job was uh, my papa between us in his house. He had a little garden spot, and it was not a very good garden spot. It was real, real sandy, and uh, it had a lot of rocks in it. And my papa offered to, to pay me and my two brothers a penny a rock. If you'll go out to the garden and pick up rocks, I will pay you a penny per rock. 
to pick up rocks out of the garden. Well, we, okay. But he knew he wasn't going to be out much money because we wouldn't be out there for very long. I mean, our attention span was pretty short, but we went out there and we got our little red wagon and we pulled it through there. And man, we started picking up rocks, all of us counting rocks. Eat little bitty rocks, that was a penny. Big rocks, that were a penny. Man, we were, man, we were making some money. And uh, we got their wagon almost full of rocks and we didn't got tired of picking up rocks, so we started looking for a place to pour them. I think it was my older brother came up with the idea. See, our driveway had some holes in it. We had a wagon full of rocks. So we went to Daddy and said, Hey, Daddy, would you pay us a penny a rock to put these rocks in your driveway? Well, sure. So we took our rocks that we had already gathered up and got paid for by Papa, and now Daddy was paying us for Man, we was entrepreneurs. I think we made two whole dollars that day. But you see, my focus... My focus, if I just played focus on my job, the next, the next real paying job that I remember having was, was uh, uh, I was in junior high. I was about the seventh grade, and we had a man, we had a cemetery behind our house, and there was a man in charge of mowing that cemetery, and he bought five 20-inch push mowers. Back then, them 20-inch push mowers were about $50 a piece. And he put five junior high boys pushing those push mowers through this cemetery. He paid us a dollar an hour. One of the best jobs I ever had. But I remember that being one of my jobs. One of the next jobs I worked, I remember working at the Texas Highway Department my junior summer during high school. After graduated high school, I was a logger. I got to be a logger for a little while in my life. I would have went broke if I'd have stayed a logger. I became a lawnmower repairman, worked that for about 10 years. I was a carpenter helper for a little while. I was a machinist mate in the Navy for a little while. For 10 years, I was a firefighter paramedic for the city of Lufkin. And, then, and the list could just go on and on and on and on. The point I want to make this morning, the point I want to make, if you read a book about the jobs that Wayne Bickley had in his life, you would have never known that I was married. You would have never known that I had children. You'd have never known that I had grandchildren. You'd have never known that I was a Christian. So you see what I'm talking about, the focus. My goodness, one man could never write the story of Jesus and keep in focus all the things that God had in store for His Son Jesus. So you see, it's important that we see the focus of each one of these these gospels. As a matter of fact, uh, John chapter 21 kind of sums it up when he talks about this focus. In John chapter 21 verse 25 it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written about Jesus. John says, listen, if everything that Jesus done while he was on this earth was written down, the, the world couldn't even contain the books of the things that he had done. So you see why it is important that each one of these men that God called to write the events of Jesus' life had a focus. So I want to I mention those focuses this morning. The focus I'm going to, to pay attention to this morning, we're going to look in the book of Matthew. But in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus is the king and that Jesus 
is here. When Matthew wrote this, he was talking about the present day. He says, the king is here. That's what he was saying. The king is here. And, and I want you to know, the Israelite people didn't recognize it, but in the, what the focus of all of the book of Matthew is, the king is here. As a matter of fact, when you read through the book of Matthew, you're going to see that it refers to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and it says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what they were saying every time they said that? The king is here. The king is here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is here. He is the king. That's what the focus of the book of Matthew is. We'll look at it in just a minute a little closer. But the book of Mark, the focus is that Jesus came as a servant. I'm telling you, the book of Mark, when you see the book of Mark, it just shows a picture of Jesus in everyday life. How he is serving the people. How he is going and he's meeting the needs of the people. But we also figure out that Jesus not only was a servant, but that he was a suffering servant. He came and he presented himself a servant to serve you and me to the point that he gave his life on the cross. Jesus was... Not just a servant, but he was a suffering servant. In the book of Luke, the focus is that Jesus was the Son of Man. Jesus was the Son of Man. I want you to know Jesus, just like you and I, got thirsty. He got tired. He got sleepy. He got discouraged. He got disheartened. I mean, he felt pain. He bled just like me and you. He cried. He cried just like me and you. I want you to know Jesus was human. He was the Son of Man. And the book of Luke brings that out to our point. We need to recognize that Jesus walked on the same earth that you and I. He stumped his toe. Listen to this. Jesus was a teenager one time. You think Jesus don't know what's going through your head? He was a teenager one time. So we need to understand that Jesus was the Son of Man. When I get to the book of Luke, we're going to talk about how Jesus was the Son of Man. The book of John. The book of John illustrates and tells us that not only was Jesus the Son of Man, but Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was, and this, this is a word that I would have not known when I was a kid. The preacher would get up and say this word, deity. I didn't know what deity was. Deity means that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was royalty. It would, it would be like, uh, and, and of course we don't have kings and queens like they do in England, but it would be like if the queen of England came and served in the, in the soup kitchen, or the queen of England came and walked the streets, just like because she is royalty, she is high and lifted up, that people bow down to her. I want you to know Jesus deserves all of our praise. Jesus deserves all of our life. He is deity. He is royalty. He is the very Son of God. We need to understand that. And I want you to know John, when he writes, that's all he focuses on. But when we look at the good news of the gospel, we see these four things, that Jesus is the King, that He's a servant, that He's a man and that He is the Son of God all at the same time. He is all those things to us. 
So this morning, this is what I want us to do. I want us to take a few minutes this morning and focus our attention on the fact that Jesus is the King. So let's look at this from the beginning. This is where I want to encourage you to to get your fingers into your Bibles and begin to to follow down because I'm fixing to look at a a series of, of, of verses here starting in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And we're going to go right through this list here. And we're going to see that from the very beginning, God intended for Jesus to be the King of glory. So we're going to begin and look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And, and this is what it's telling us. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, Adam and Eve has been put in the garden. They were only given one rule to abide by. Don't eat from that tree. Only thing they had to, that's the only commandment that they had. And they have gone and disobeyed God and they've eaten from the tree. They have now broken their relationship with God. And this is the punishment or the conditions that God now has put on them. And he's speaking with Satan, the one that has deceived them in Genesis 3 and verse 15. And this is what he says to Satan. He says, and I will put enmity or strife. There's going to be a problem or a battle between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Now I want you to notice that seed is singular. It's not talking about a group of people. It's not talking about the descendants. He says, I'm going to put enmity or strife between Satan, your seed, and her seed. Because this is going to be someone that was born of woman. Now understand this. Watch this. All through history, every woman that has ever given birth to uh, anyone that has given birth to a baby has always been given birth through a man. What God is saying right here is this woman, this single seed, she is not going to give birth from a man, but she is going to give birth and it's going to be her seed, not man's seed. And she, in this scripture right here, is speaking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Watch what it says. And I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and and you shall bruise his heel. And this is speaking about Jesus. Right at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, in Galatians 4 and 4, This promise that is given here in Genesis 3 and 15 is now fulfilled. Watch what it says. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman and born under the law. Because listen, Jesus was not born of a man. Who was the father of Jesus? The Holy Spirit of God came into Mary and she conceived... And therefore her offspring was the Son of God. Wow! This is how you connect the dots of Scripture. Genesis 3.15 gives a promise. Galatians 4 and 4 fulfills that promise. That you've got the Son of God is going to be born of a woman. In Exodus chapter 19, God gives a promise to the nation of Israel. Now who is the father of the nation of Israel. What is his name? Abraham. He is the father. 
And what we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 19, and verse number 5, it tells us there, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, now this is God speaking to Moses to the children of Israel, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now watch what he says here. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, it says there that you're going to be a kingdom. In order for you to have a kingdom, what do you have to have? You've got to have a king. You've got to have a king. This is what God is telling this nation of Israel. He said, listen, I'm going to make a kingdom out of you. And then all through the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scripture, it tells us that the King is coming. The King is coming. In the Old Testament Scriptures, it calls Him the Messiah. Some places in the Old Testament Scripture, it calls Him a prophet that is to come. A prophet such as Moses is speaking about Jesus. This King is coming. This King is coming. Well, how do we know He's coming? It tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For unto us... A child is born, and to us a son is giving. Now, who is that son? Who is that child they're talking about? Jesus. And what is Jesus going to be? The king. He's coming. Because it goes on to say, And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know what, he's, you know what Isaiah is saying? The king is coming. The king is coming. That's what he's saying. Well, when we look in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel even gives the nation of Israel a timeline. He says, listen, y'all are looking for this king? Watch this. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to the restoring and to rebuild the Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. Now, we're not going to look at all of those numbers, but this is what he says. I'm telling you, when the commandment goes out to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, he said it's going to be this many days before the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, shows up. You know what he's saying? The King is coming. That's what he's saying. The King is coming. As a matter of fact, the next verse says something to the effect, and he says, and after a certain period of time, this King is going to be cut off. In other words, he says right there in front of everybody, he says the King is going to come, and then he's going to die. So don't, don't make any mistake. When, when Matthew sits and writes this book, I want you to know his focus is on the king. The king. The king. Old Testament scriptures, we're reading verse after verse after verse. The king is coming. The king is coming. And then we get to the New Testament. Because in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1... What we see in Matthew chapter 1, it gives us the lineage of Jesus. It says, listen, it says, this was Joseph's daddy, and da Joseph's daddy's daddy was this, and goes all the way back to Abraham, the beginning of the Israelite nation, or the beginning of the Jews. If you go on over to the book of Luke, it gives us Mary's lineage. Guess whose Mary's lineage goes all the way back to? Adam. Hey, listen, he wants us to make sure that we understand that Jesus qualifies to be king. 
He has a royal bloodline. It gives us that lineage all the way back. Some people say, well, I don't know how they, in the Bible, how they determine that there were 4,002 years from, from the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden until Jesus uh, was born. Well, they used the genealogy. They used the lineage. Every place you can find the age of those all through the Scriptures. I want you to know it's down to the T. You don't have to wonder about it. Just believe what the Scripture tells you. But it tells us all the way back. And then in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, watch this. Wise men come, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, asking Herod the king, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? These wise men are going before King Herod. He was the king over Rome at the time. And they said, Listen, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. Where is he? And King Herod was going, Oh my goodness, who is this king of the Jews? Hey, you guys, you go find him. And when you find him, you come back and tell me, and I'm going to go worship him. Well, we knew that was a lie. King Herod wanted to put him to death. But I want you to know the day that Jesus was born, I want you to know there were people seeking him because they knew he was the king of the Jews. Several other scriptures backs this up in Matthew 27. It tells us, And Jesus stood before the governor, or Pilate at the time, and the governor asked him, saying, Are thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Thou sayest. In other words, Yes. I am the king of the Jews. He answered the question. In Luke chapter 23 it says, And the subscription, or the superscription also that was written in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, the, the sign that was placed over Jesus' head when he was crucified, this is what it said. This is the king of the Jews. Now, I want you to know, you keep reading, and you'll see that the Jewish people said, Oh, Pilate, you need to change that inscription up there. We want it to say, He says He is the King of the Jews. You think that was an accident? That God made it say, This is the King of the Jews? I want you to know, the book of Matthew is declaring, The King is here. The King is here. The King is here. That's what the book of Matthew is declaring. In John chapter 1 and verse 10, this is what it is saying about Jesus. He was in the world. In other words, He came as man, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. Now, I know you've heard this before. John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist? He was the forerunner. Old Testament prophecy says that there's going to be one. Come, and he is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. Or he's going to be the forerunner for Christ. Guess what John the Baptist went around preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, John the Baptist was preaching that, and he had never even met Jesus yet. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, I want you all to know the king is here. The kingdom... 
We are the kingdom. The Jewish people were the kingdom. That was a promise back in Exodus. We are the kingdom, and our king is here. Repent. Get ready. The king is about to appear. That's what he went around preaching. That's what he was telling everybody that he came in contact with. The king is here. The king is here. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that He was the King. They didn't believe that He was the Messiah. You want to know why? They trusted their eyes more than they trusted their heart. No different than we do today. Oh, I see. That ain't never going to work. Although the Scripture says it's going to work. Oh, that won't never work. This Jesus... My goodness gracious, I saw him raised up in Nazareth. He wasn't nothing but a carpenter boy. There ain't nothing that ever good comes out of Nazareth. What do you mean he's going to be the Messiah? There's no way he qualifies to be the king. They rejected him from the get-go. It didn't matter that he could calm the sea or raise the dead or make the blind to see. That didn't matter. They refused to believe because he didn't meet their mold. Well, I want you to know the next verse that they give us in John chapter 1 opens the door for me and you. Because it says this, But as many as receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now let me just take a time out here. Because I'm teaching a lesson this morning about what the book of Matthew tells us about Jesus being the king and that he is here and that the king has come. I want us to understand. That's what I'm, that's what I'm after this morning. But you need to understand that Jesus Christ, the king that came, they crucified on the cross for your sins and my sins. And if you'll believe in him, he can change your life. If you'll quit trusting in this world and you will trust and put your faith in something that you cannot even possibly understand, but you put your faith and trust in Jesus and what He done on the cross for you, I want you to know you can become you have the right to become the children of God. That's what He gives us the power to do. Let's go on. In John chapter one and verse twenty nine, this is in the same breath, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for it was for he was before me. In other words, John had been preaching, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the next day, John sees Jesus and he goes, That's Him. Hey, y'all. That's Him. This is the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. That's Him. I've never seen Him before. I've been preaching about Him. God told me to preach about Him. This is the man right here. The King is here. How many believed? Very few. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and I've been saying this over and over, and, and this is what John the Baptist was preaching, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've, meant, I've already read Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read it again, chapter 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, I'm here. Matthew, Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Hey guys, I'm here. I'm here. The king of glory. You need proof? The Old Testament says that I'll be casting out demons. Cast out demons. The Old Testament tells you that I will raise the dead. Here, here, come here, young lady. Here, I'm going to breathe black life into you. The, the Old Testament says that I'm going to heal the blind. Well, here, blind man, you need to see. How much proof did he need to prove to them that he was the Messiah, the King, and yet they refused to believe? He says, The fullness and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. It says, These twelve, in other words, Jesus' twelve disciples, Jesus sent forth and He commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles or into the city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now listen, you need to, we need to understand that Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law. He came to be the king over all of the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel rejected him as king. As a matter of fact, they went to such rejection that they even crucified him on an old rugged cross so that he might die for the sins of the world. Don't think for one second that when God sent his son Jesus that he went, oops, I didn't know they were going to reject him. You go back to Isaiah chapter 53 and you see that this was all part of God's plan. God already knew the hearts of man, and by their rejection, it has opened up the door for me and you to have a relationship with God by grace, by God's grace, and your faith believing what Jesus done on the cross. Understand that Matthew's focus was on this group of Jewish people. Come on, guys. Don't you understand the king is here? The king is here? The king is here? Old Testament scripture told us in Daniel that after a short period of time, the Messiah would be gone. But let me tell you, I had to look this scripture up just a few minutes ago. The king is coming back. Do you hear me? The king is coming back, and he's coming back one day for you and for me, those who believe. Let me make that clear. Please let me make that clear. If you could continue to come week after week and you hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for your sins, and if we keep rejecting it, understand that does not include you. When I say that He's coming back for us, it includes only those who have professed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. That is the only ones that He's coming back for. I hate to be blunt. I'm in fear for your eternal life. 
Because without Him, we have nothing. We have nothing. Look, look what it says. This is, this is in Revelation. It's not on the screen. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 15. I'll wait on you. If you want to turn there, I'll wait just a second. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15. Talking about when the king, when Jesus, King Jesus is coming back. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15 says this. Speaking of Jesus. And out of his mouth, out of the mouth of Jesus, goeth forth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Woo! <laughs> if you remember, I can't remember what week it was. I guess it was Father's Day. If you remember, I kind of got a little excited up here, and I, I, I now listen. I don't dance, okay, but I kind of done a little jig like that. And uh, you know, my little grandson Caden, he's downs, and he looked up at me and he says, "Oh, Papa." Laughing at Papa because he was up here doing a little jig. Well, let me tell you. I'm telling you, when we see Jesus come back, it's going to be an exciting day. And it's going to be a great day. There's a great day coming. A great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Are you ready for the day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready for the day to come? Last verse, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And that name is Jesus. My goodness, Matthew tried his best to let those Jewish people know the King is here, the King is here, the King is here, and they rejected the King. Please, do not leave here today and reject Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world that died for the sins of the world. Don't reject Him. Let's stand together and let's have a word of prayer. Lord, sometimes it's just hard to even control our emotions because we understand how true your word is as we read it. God, your, your word just expresses love, 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 love for everyone in this room. But God, it just breaks our heart 
that your word also expresses judgment and wrath for those who choose to reject that love. God, you've done it all. You said as Jesus suffered on the cross, he has finished the work. When he cries out, it is finished. You've done it all. You've done it all. The rest is left up to us. The willingness to accept or reject the free gift of eternal life through Jesus. God, just open our hearts and our minds to that truth. God, I just pray that you'll be pleased with the invitation now that we offer to respond to the words that we've heard this morning. Again, I pray that you'll be pleased with this response. And we'll give you all the glory that comes from it all. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You respond.